when when we deal with chapter 14 uh, of 1 Corinthians, we see much of this background really helps us. The states of frenzy and ecstasy is what they had come out of in their background going back uh, before they became Christians and members of the body of Christ. Uh, Well, what happened is... uh, they kind of would, when you were in a pagan worship, you would go to temple, and it was like slipping out of your body in a sense. Uh, it was going into uh, this state that uh, you lose uh, the consciousness that you have of this world, and you commune with the gods. You talk with them. They commune by speaking in tongues, unknown languages of the gods. And so they'd be speaking all sorts of gibberish. And this was supposed to have been the pinnacle of their worship. Now with that in mind, knowing that not only was it at that time, but it is very much today in uh, Eastern religions, the cults, they will uh, use these languages, these tongues that are not really languages. They are somehow some mystical aspect of getting to God. The Corinthians, who had been this way before, now have become Christians, carry the world right into the church. And we've seen that right in from chapter 1 all the way up to where we're at now. Anything you could think of that was out in the world, they were bringing in it. Whether it be immorality or pride, uh, drunkenness, debauchery, those things were, were in the church. And these people were doing the same thing. They were bringing in ecstatic speeches or babble or gibberish, if you may. They thought they were communing with the true God now that they were Christians. So really, nothing's really changed in some areas. Only they would say, well, this is to the the true God. And somehow it came into being known as some kind of a private prayer language, language between them and God. And so they, uh, Paul has to address them, has to correct them, rebuke them. He stresses a couple of things here as we, uh, we look at this. One of them is that gibberish was not the true gift. Never in the church has there been some kind of gibberish that people didn't know. Paul has addressed that and he said there must be understanding and above all, there must be, what's the word? edification for all in the church. It's not meant for our own edification. That's what we looked at last week and we saw that uh, tongues are in fear to the gift of prophecy. So tongues, and especially the way that they used the tongue was not edifying, only it be for self-edification. So their wrong understanding is not the purpose of the gifts. And Paul will make that clear as we look at it today. All gifts were given so that all can profit. That is the reason. Paul has established that in this chapter and of course others, but especially in the first half of chapter 14 that to be edifying. Sometimes people will say, I know the reason for tongues. It's, it's to prove that you're a Christian. It's, it's to prove that you're baptized of the Spirit. And so you prove you're a Christian because you can speak in tongues. And there are some that actually believe that. Um, many of the Pentecostals today will say that. And we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul has already refuted that because he says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. 
and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one many, but member, but many. So he says right there that we are all baptized in the Spirit. The Spirit of God baptizes us into the body of Christ. And if you're a Christian, that has happened. They'll say, well, tongues are evidence. Uh, and uh, you should have that. Everybody should have that. But in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, Paul refutes that. And he says, do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? So obviously, no. Uh, not everybody has the same gifts, and especially those. So Paul has built all this up, one after another, and he's building it line upon line, precept upon precept. We see the principles laid out. And... So the confusion would be washed away. So what is the reason for the gift of tongues, Paul? What is the reason? What is the purpose that we have this written here for? And that's exactly where we're at this morning. As we build it up last week, now we look at what, why Paul says that they have the tongues here. And let's, let's go right into it, right into verse 20. And let's read a, a few verses, and, and, uh, and we'll stop and do some explaining on that. Verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now, we go into, again, what I think is, in one sense, difficult to bring this out. For this is almost politically, churchly, Incorrect to say these kind of things. Because the church is really split today over this issue. And I have to address it the way that I think Scripture is here. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't even address this. We'd move on and go into other places. But whenever we go into certain texts and we are committed to going verse by verse, we will not skip things. And here we are. Um, so, therefore, I do not try to offend and I not try to blast people out of the water who speak in tongues, but I will demand from them to examine the Scripture and don't do what tradition tells you or what your heart says, but what does the Word of God say. And we are committed to that here at Grace Community Church and um, prayerfully, we always will be to the Word of God, right? So, um, again, we uh, go into this difficult section that I think is very clear. 
I think Paul didn't muddy it up, especially when he gets into this chapter and especially as he finishes it up. We're going to know why the purpose was. It's so confused today, and I'm sorry, I I wished it wasn't confusing. It shouldn't be, but it is. And it seems like every doctrine, whether it be baptism, whether it be communion, you know, those, those issues, they're secondary issues. You can still be a Christian and have differences on those. But it's amazing how many things split the church right up. And, and I really believe the longer that the Lord tarries till He's coming back, the more divisions and splits there will be in the church. And that's the way it's been for 2,000 years, especially since the Reformation. There's been so many denominations. But God has used those for His glory. And uh, so, at the same time, here we go. Um, first, first of all, we know that it's, it's necessary for them to be mature. Were they mature in Corinth? Would you venture to say they're mature? No, he's already said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that they were fleshly Christians. They were acting like they were carnal. They were acting like unbelievers in Corinth. So with that in mind, it helps as he addresses this issue and he says, brethren. And I'm glad he started off with that. Paul loves his brothers and sisters in Christ and he addresses them as brethren and then he immediately gets into the issue again. Brethren, don't be children in your understanding. What's he mean, children understanding? Well, children don't know a whole lot. This word for children here is meant for very, very young. Like infants, little little bitty babies. They don't know much, right? They're, they were that way. They really didn't know much. They were like children in their understanding, especially on this topic here. He says, don't be children like that. However, in malice, be babes. Now that's an interesting phrase there, isn't it? In malice, be babes. He's saying, okay, I want you not to be like little children or little babies when it comes to understanding, but when it comes to evil things, I want you to be innocent like children or babes. Now does that make sense? Does that help there? They were children in their understanding. And they shouldn't have been. They should have been like men. They didn't understand sound doctrine, so what were they in understanding? They were like kids. Little kids. They didn't grasp the many truths. They were on milk when they should have been on meat, Paul addressed in chapter 3. Do you see how context means everything? And you look back over the whole book. First of all, what is Paul saying in the book? Then what is he saying in that chapter? Then what is he saying in that section that fits in that chapter? So how does this verse fit in with the rest of it? And all of a sudden, we have some deep meaning here. So, as far as being uh, little children, they were tossed to and fro about every wind and doctrine, weren't they? Ephesians chapter... Um, is that chapter 4? Yeah. Okay. As far as the meaning of infants in malice is that infants have no evil thoughts. They don't have malice and wickedness. He says, be like little babes when it comes to evil. They needed to be infants when it came to evil thoughts. Not to be like, as far as evil was concerned, they were like adults in their understanding. I mean, as far as they were doing evil things. Remember the immorality that was being practiced there? How about suing people? How about uh, uh, being drunk at the Lord's Supper? How about the great knowledge that they had over other people and then having the knowledge and maybe tongues that other people didn't have? Or a tongue, which was the 
unknown language, which was nothing, it was gibberish, and putting it over other people. That's evil. That's wicked. And he says, I want you to be mature in your thinking, in your understanding. Not mature in the evil. They definitely were mature in that. It was for self-edification. It was not for edification of the rest of the body of Christ. Do you see how important this issue was to take up three chapters about what was going on in the church? And he wasn't afraid to address it. So we should not be afraid to address this issue or just step aside and say, well, I'm not going to touch that issue. Listen, Paul knew it was so important. I'm telling you, this is what we have in the body of Christ today. And it's so um, divisive and even comes to a point of evilness. So Paul says, quit being children in your thinking and treating people unkindly. Start thinking like adults. Now, Paul is going to give us the reason why there is a gift of tongues. And what he's going to do is going to draw right out of Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12. He quotes freely from there. Paul does this so often, he'll give his principles and then he'll come along and then bring out uh, an Old Testament section to support what he has said. It is so crystal clear here. He says in verse 21, In the law, by the way, this is by Isaiah the prophet. A lot of times, the law made up whatever the whole Old Testament was, whatever was revealed to Israel. Uh, the law and the prophets, it's all in, in one, right? It is this. With men of other tongues, and that's our issue, isn't it? And other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me. What is Paul saying here? Well, this is the heart of the chapter. This is one of the verses that you just need to circle and circle and have it so big that it stands out because what Paul is saying, I'm telling you now what this is all about. Verse 21 and verse 22 uh, gives that. What are the unbelievers in verse 21? uh, Whenever he says in 22, it's that uh, this is a sign for unbelievers. Who are the unbelievers in verse 21? Well, it's Israel. Uh, They're the unbelievers. And this transfers now over to the present time of Corinth. And he's telling them tongues are for a sign and the sign is meant to unbelievers. Here you are. We have... 30 people speaking in some unknown language or even a known language at the same time. Nobody's making any sense. Nobody can understand anything except for their own selves. There's no understanding. There's no edification. And he says, what you're doing, you're you're doing this in front of the church. It's totally needless. You, You need to understand this is for unbelievers. Let's go back to the text where he draws from. Go to Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. Boy, after you're done with this, it really makes you really, I think, pin this whole area down. If you've had any doubts before, I think this should help tremendously. Now what's happening in Isaiah 28 is Isaiah is giving a prophecy to the northern tribes and the southern tribes, uh, or Ephraim and, and even Jerusalem. And we know what happened to the northern tribes the Assyrians who came 
there to take them away and spread them all out over everywhere. That was Assyrians, and they were speaking Assyrian, a foreign language, and that was God's judgment on them. And then God tells Isaiah to tell the others. And later on, there's going to be a judgment coming, and it's going to be to the southern tribes, that is Judah and Benjamin, and they too are going to be judged. He's going to bring some Babel, the Babylonians, who will be speaking Babel to them, a confusing language, they can't understand it, and God is making a judgment on them. And Isaiah is saying that. And by the way, verse 7 says, But they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. See what their leaders have done? They've gone into drunkenness and a stupor. They can't think right. They're swallowed up by wine. They're out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. This is how despicable it had come in Israel. Verse 9, Whom will He teach knowledge? And whom will He make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from breast? They're all confused. For precept must be upon precept, Precept upon precept, you got to like this verse, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. There must be understanding and he brings out the judgment. And here we come with verse 11. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people, Israel, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. He had truth to them. There was the rest. The rest is God. They wouldn't listen. So there is our verse 11 and 12 that uh, Paul quotes from. And so we see that there was judgment. There was no listening. When they heard those unintelligible sounds that came upon their city and they heard them outside the walls and then they heard them inside the walls and they're speaking and yelling to each other and communicating those foreigners, you can't understand those languages and it meant judgment. I'm going to bring foreigners to conquer you, to judge you. I have judged you. You are done. So that is what happened. Isaiah said that. That there would be a judgment and it would be known by the tongues that came to them. Foreign people be taken away. Look, this is not the only place it's mentioned. Look back further in the law to Deuteronomy 28.49. I think Paul is making this very clear. Anybody that knew anything about history would say, hmm, that's interesting. 28.49 of Deuteronomy, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. From the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. Whether it be the Assyrians, whether it be the Babylonians. This was written during the time of the law. This was written during the time of Moses. And a prophecy is given that I will bring on foreigners to you. Ultimately, that comes during the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Daniel. Keep looking. Look at Jeremiah, a prophet. Jeremiah 5.15. The weeping prophet. He had to tell prophecies that he really 
was sad over because of where his nation was at. Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar. O house of Israel, says the Lord, it is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Again, does this sound like the same message? We see it in Deuteronomy. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Jeremiah. Well, that happened. Historically, we can say, yes, it did. Other tongues came in. They were judged. Paul is saying just like that, the same thing is happening. Now, if you look in the book of Luke, we get a prophecy at that time of what was going to happen. Now, after that judgment, the nation of Israel returned back to its land. And for 400 some odd years, they were there. Christ comes on the scene then. And Luke 19.44 43 For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. This is Jesus speaking. Now he's saying about a future judgment coming. And level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The Messiah visited them, and as a whole, the nation rejected the Messiah. And he says, I will bring judgment upon you. I'll tear this temple down, and there will not be one stone upon another. Look in Luke 21, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Judgment. Judgment came. It started at Pentecost, the day the church was born. It was telling the people of Israel that there is judgment, that there is coming. There are different languages that are being spoken. Now, how do I know that? Well, that's what Paul is saying here uh, in, in our text today in 1 Corinthians 14. There's a sign, a sign for the unbelievers. Just like it was in the Old Testament, it happened here. Well, there really wasn't the judgment that came at that time, but with this text, we know historically in 70 A.D. the Romans who spoke another language came to Jerusalem and crushed and destroyed that city. And the people were scattered. It's not been the same since for 2,000 years now. And so what we have are babbling people who came and conquered them and, and it was prophesied by God. They were told. Look in Acts chapter 2. And... The format is this, is that the 120 that were there actually were filled with God's Spirit. And then we know that like the apostles go out and start preaching the Word in language, in languages that other people could hear as there were many other languages there, many other people. And they're named. 
starting in verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites. I'm not going to go through all those but we, because we've read these before. But they, it says in verse 6, And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, going to each individual, individual tribes, nations, and tongues are now able to hear their own. They should have known. Israel should have known that God was ready to judge them. He has done this before. This is something we need to pay attention. And many of them did. 3,000 were saved that day. Sirs, oh my. It must have been like the Philippian jailer. What must we do to be saved? And Peter tells them, repent, believe, but be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, you know. And uh, so, Paul tells them the Gospel. Well, there was no purpose for tongues since 70 A.D. When the time came, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. The judgment was done by God. The sign was no longer needed for tongues for the Jew who was an unbeliever. It is not meant for Christians as we come back to our Corinthians passage. Although we know that Paul spoke in this, but usually he did it for the the reason. And there were uh, Jews present many times. Um, I didn't make this up. When we read verse 30 to 22, back in 1 Corinthians 14, Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. not a sign of, just a sign of judgment though it is a curse there and that was the sign ultimately as he brought in you know what the blessing is on the other side it means for people who are of other tongues or other nations or Gentiles a blessing to us because it's showing that other tongues were included in God's people in his gracious story in his plan of salvation there are many nations that are brought into the plan. Could you say that that is a blessing? There's a cursing on one end, but as a judgment, as, as it says here in Scripture, I'm not trying to make this up. I'm not trying to read in the text. I'm just reading it here. Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But in another sense, it is because there are many languages in this body of Christ today. Once the event came, the transition was made. The church was born, and as time went on, and as the Word said in 1 Corinthians 13, tongues would cease to run their course. They would slowly fade out. Once they fade out, they're stopped. Once they're finally stopped, they will never return again. That is the meaning of Paulo. Paulo. That's, that's uh, cease. And the other one's knowledge for instance. Knowledge and prophecy we still need today. And so we have those. And so it used a different word, not cease. That's found in at the end of chapter 13. They will vanish away. They will fail. They will stop. Right now, we, and we see in verse 9, for we know in part, there's knowledge. Right now, we know in part, we have knowledge, and we prophesy in part. We need that. We need prophecy or proclaiming of the Word of God. We need knowledge right now. One of these days, we will know everything that God wants us to know about, about His Word. And it says in part of the, uh, the promise of the covenant of God to us. 
that uh, every man will have knowledge. And uh, so, but we need that now. There, it's for, and it's just for a little time period. But the tongues uh, would just fade out. That's the text. That's what these different Greek words mean. So when you get into those, I think it really, really helps. When, and when it says sign, when something is fulfilled, you don't need the sign anymore. Let's say you've been into St. Louis. You took a trip to St. Louis and you're on your way back. And it says, Jefferson City, 150 miles. I've done this almost every week. Sign, right? You see that sign. You're not there yet, but it's pointing and you know it's going to happen. 100 miles. Jefferson City, 100 miles. Then you drive a little bit further. Jefferson City, 50 miles. Then you get out there towards the uh, Osage River. Jefferson City, 50 miles. Okay? And then finally, we're in Jefferson City. We're on the outskirts and we finally get in. And we don't see the signs that say, Jefferson City, one mile, zero. You're already there. You don't need the sign. You're there. It's been fulfilled. We don't, the, as far as the Jews, they don't need the sign anymore. The sign has been done. He's done with it. Tongues were a sign. They weren't a thing in and of themselves. They were a sign. A sign points to something else. They pointed to a curse of God upon Israel. Once the curse came, the sign was no longer necessary. And I know people will say them, well, don't you think that tongues could have a purpose today? Don't, do we need the sign again today as it's stated here in 1 Corinthians 14? Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Do, do we need that? Well, if tongues were around, they'd still have to have the same purpose, right? If that be the case. What point would there be in signifying today that God is moving away from Israel to open the gospel to all the other nations so all of those people that speak in other languages can't? He did that 2,000 years ago. What would be the reason to keep going that people already know? I think it's fairly clear. We don't need more information on that. It's all the information we need. It's there. It's already done. Now here's where I leave a little room just to wrestle with. God in His great grace and His great knowledge, some missionary field out there somewhere could send somebody to somebody else that doesn't speak in the same tongue and you don't know it and they're able to communicate. And I've heard of stories of that happening. Uh, I don't know the people. uh, But is it possible? It sure could be. I will not take that away. But that's different than what this was used for here. God could supernaturally do that. He could supernaturally make you do anything. But that's not the norm. It would be a miracle. And so therefore, I wouldn't see that as a gift. A gift is something that you could practice every time. The things that you need all the time. When you have that gift, you use it. It's part of you. So that gift of tongues, I don't believe is here. I don't know of anybody who is using it the right way. As we go through the rest of Corinthians 14, uh, you can pretty well mold down almost everybody that even believes in tongues. Because they're not using it correctly at all. They'll use 14 to say it's, it's here, and then they'll... Uh, dismiss the rest of 14 which says okay here's how it has to be done and they won't use that so I say immediately that's not from God's spirit God does not honor that at all matter of fact it's very dishonoring 
very disrespectful, I think. Um, I, I speak very vociferously on this, but I think it is a, a terrible thing that has happened to the church. As I look at Scripture, as I look at these three chapters, I'm more convinced than I've ever been before. As I have studied it and taken time with it, it's not me personally. There are many who believe in this. If you look at Reformed theology, uh, almost all of them, almost all of them will say the same thing that I'm saying. We're not alone. You go back to the early church fathers, we'll be in agreement with them because they said they knew of no tongues. They knew of no, uh, none of those supernatural gifts that were being done. They wrote it, said they, they, uh, that it stopped even. And of course, I took time to show historically why that is. So I can be on the side of what I think Scripture is. And then secondly, not as important, but it helps to see the early church did not believe in that. The ones that did were the ones that were outcast. They were outside the church. Uh, it starts coming up again. You see it in the Roman Catholic Church, not in the Reformation. There are little side pockets that do, but they're, they're out there and they're cultish. And it popped up in the 1900s. Late 1800s, uh, really early 1900s. So, that is why I'm very vociferous on it. Could God use it? Yeah. But I don't think it's the gift that we see here. And if it is, okay, I, I, I miss it. But maybe God is using that on an individual and He uses that all the time. But I'm not hearing that. And if it is, I, I would love to hear it. I'd love to hear uh, somebody interpret that consistently. I'd like to check it out for myself. I'm skeptical whenever I hear those things. I'm skeptical whenever I hear people being raised from the dead. And then later on, about ten years later, you find out that there was no truth to it. Be careful when you hear of things that are miraculous. Whatever God can do in miraculous things, and He does do it. Don't get me wrong, okay? But it's not the norm today. We have the completed Word of God. And we are to take that out. Take it out to the nations. And he's using great technology today to take it to people who have never read the language in their Bible. I'd like to talk to Wycliffe Bible translators if they've ever ran into a situation where one of them didn't have to translate, they automatically just started doing it. I've not heard of that. Have you guys? Seriously. So I'm very strong on it for the, for the fact that I believe Paul was making an issue here when he said it's really to unbelievers and the unbelievers were uh, Israel. What about prophecy? Is there a sign for prophecy? No. The prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. What do we do in the church? Well, we certainly don't speak in tongues in the church. We prophesy. What's prophecy? To proclaim. To give the truth out. Um, it, uh, prophecy is, is not a sign. It's something that we need to hear. It's God's Word. Uh, there's a vast difference between a sign and the reality. The reality here is that uh, we talk about God in this Word. Edification, chapter 14, verse 4. This is what it's about. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. What good is that? Well, it already says that anything that does for himself is not real. Everything is for the church. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Chapter uh, 14, verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. That they may learn. That they be encouraged. Paul wants it to not make nonsensical statements. It doesn't make sense to you. If somebody came in here and sat down today and they said it had tongues and they started going off about it, you know what? We wouldn't believe it, would we? Matter of fact, I would say you're going to have to leave. You're either going to have to stop it or leave. I remember a, a pastor in... Um, 
that was at a prison fellowship meeting, one of my first ones. And one guy started going off in a tongue and while he was teaching. And uh, he simply just, and I went, oh, what's he going to do? And he just said, stop it. <laughs> he was teaching the Word of God. This other man was saying nonsensical things. Nobody can understand. It wasn't any language. But he was going to show them what he had. You know, it's a matter of pride. That wasn't his position at all. Um, So people would understand. Therefore, verse 24, if all prophesy and an unbeliever and uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convinced by all. Pursue the fact that you can preach, teach the Word of God. There are preachers, but then there are people who have the Word of God and they proclaim it to uh, anybody. And everybody can do that in that sense. Um, you know what hindrance there is of tongues? It's confusion. It would be confusion to um, to unbelievers. If they walked in here and heard us doing that and they didn't know what was being talked about, do you think they would really be interested in who we are and what we're about? Paul just says that. Uh, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. This is This is nuts. If, you just, if we just think of that and then think of the modern thing that's going on, that's what's going on. It's nuts. Paul says uh, there needs to be a language that can be understood. Um, people are mad. People are frenzied. That's the idea there in, in our text there. Uh, out of your mind. Uh, that person at that time would have come into a church meeting and he'd say, there's no difference between the church here and the Temple of Diana. They're doing the same thing over there. What's the difference? This is nothing. With this thing called the church, this is demonic. This is is crazy. Well, what's the procedure for tongues? By the way, if if we speak prophecy or proclaimment, it says, verse 25, thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. As he hears the truth in his own language, or as he hears that, he bows down before God. He worships Him. He comes to Christ. (laughs) That is what happens when we speak words that are intelligible. Well, he says in verse 26, Well, how is it, brethren? Whenever you come together, now it's talking about worship here, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. You have all sorts of things going on. You're singing songs, you're teaching, you have this particular tongue, you have this revelation, you have an interpretation. You've heard of uh, places where people uh, are actually doing all of this at the same time. Just all are just saying different things and and, uh, just saying things that are just not making sense. On a normal Sunday morning in Corinth, before Paul wrote this to them, they were speaking things. They were singing things. They were uh, doing this all in the same place. It was a place of craziness. Everybody was doing their own thing and they needed order in the church. Somebody's doing a solo over here. Another one stands up and decides he wants to do a solo. So you got two solos going on, two different songs. Can you imagine that? And another guy comes up might have a really good teaching. He starts teaching at the same time because, hey, I've got something to share and those guys aren't going to shut up over their singing so I'm just going to be a little bit louder. I'm going to shout. So you get all this. Everybody has all these kind of things. That's what's happening in Corinth. A tongue is in the singular there. Has a tongue. And remember, we said a tongue is dealing with what? An unknown tongue. Gibberish in, in this context. Now, in verse 26, 
It might be at this time we can use this word as a language that's understandable because he goes to the singular. He was saying beforehand, you was all of them all. You all. Here, he now is going to the singular individual. Each of you. Each one of you. One. And he says, each one of you has a tongue. You might even be speaking in something that has a language. So the tongue could be that true gift. Okay, even if they're doing that. You know, it's not plural there like we have been saying. If it's plural, it means tongues, which means languages and known, or that are known languages. Um, but this individual can only speak one language at a time. So that's this time why that would be interpreted as a tongue, not trying to twist it. But the whole main theme of this section is edification. So tongue is singular. Speaking one language. A singular subject demands a singular verb form. So Paul is making regulations here. He would never regulate gibberish. So what he says in 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, there's the singular, which usually has been where it means gibberish, but now he's he's speaking to one person, if any one. So that's why this word has to be, the verb has to be singular also. And so it's, that's why tongue is brought out. And in the context, that would make sense. If anyone speaks in this gift of tongue, here, gift of language, um, if there's a need for it, and if it's spoken by that individual, there will not be the whole congregation going along with him doing it at the same time. It's going to be two or three at the most and one at a time. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. No more than three. Two would be advisable, but three, okay. And each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself, to God. Just, just be quiet. Sit down. Don't worry about it. So people can't understand it. What it is, if somebody came in and said, hey, I know that this guy is from Cyprus and he speaks Cypressian. I don't know. And I know him. Um, he doesn't know our language. We're speaking Hebrew here today. And we all do. That's, that's our language. Or let's say Greek. It's in Korean. So let's say it that way. So uh, why would we speak something else? Well, one man might be able to be able to do that. So, and, and the guy that says, hey, there's a Cyprian here. Also, there's an interpreter over there. He's sitting back there. So when you say this, you'll be able to say it and it's okay for you because you're going to give something that our Cyprian understands and there will be an interpreter that will then put it into the Greek language so that everybody in the whole church can understand what's going on. There's not some kind of a thing going back here, let's say, with me and Mike. And me and Mike are speaking. you got, what are they talking about? I'd like to know. That could be really good. We're speaking Mikean, you know, and I know Mikean, you know, but you guys don't. We got to have some humor in this real serious stuff. Keep our minds thinking here. I hope you're staying with it. Like I say, a lot of this sounds like just straight teaching class, but um, it's it's very uh, well something that we can put into our lives too. But there's to be order in church, right? So. He says, okay now, when one does this, we're going to make sure that everybody understands what's being done. We're not going to do it all at one time. And there's got to be somebody that you know that interprets this. Makes sense. It really absolutely makes sense. 
So the message would be reached to that other person that came in. And it would be for the edification of the congregation. Let's say that Cyprian that came in there, he all he knew was Hebrew, and they're speaking Corinthian. Now it really makes sense, doesn't it? And there's a sign that's just been done for this Jewish person that has sat down in the chair. And he's listening. So there can be special times. It's a gift reserved for those special times when an unbelieving Jew was there. Those special times when an interpreter was there. Those special times. That, that's what could be done. That's the limit. They were just going crazy with it. It was nuts. Now, if I were to ask somebody in a charismatic church today that said tongues are for today, I doubt very seriously if they would be carrying this out. I've known where there have been a whole congregation. 200 people speaking all at one time as they were praying to God. Different things. There's limits here. Paul says the limit is on the basis of somebody being present that uh, has a legitimate language but he can't understand what's there. They don't, uh, I don't think that they limit that to that. I don't believe that they limit to two or three cases. Um, what we have, I think, today in, in the church is just like what was happening in Corinth. I think it's the same problem. I think as you look at all these chapters in the book of Corinthians, you'll see the same problems. And it goes on and on. I think charismatic worship is a disgrace whenever they practice these things. And it's, it's totally out of order. Uh, not being obedient whatsoever uh, goes against the rules. And there always must be an interpreter. It always must be understood. Paul has made that clear. I think we really would have to admit that. There is never a case for tongues anywhere in the Bible that is not understandable to somebody. He's just made it clear. Always an interpreter. So if there's such a case, and it should be present himself in the church, it's exed out right there, unless it's fallen totally by that rule. There's no interpreter. Just sit there, interpreter, and meditate. If there's no interpreter, I mean, not the interpreter, but the one who has that language that could help out and could really share with that guy over there while everything's going on in church here, um, he says, hey, if there's no interpreter, then just keep silent. You know, don't say anything loud here. Okay? Because it's not going to just sit there and meditate. Talk to God if you want. Talk, you know, have a nice time. Just don't say anything out loud. Now, he talks about prophecy. Same kind of order there. It has to be regulated too. Verse 29, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. He says, okay, now if you have a proclamation, God has given you something to speak out. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to have one person get up and speak. That's not logical, doesn't it? That's what we believe in. And then another one will come up, but no more than three. Prophets were the ones who spoke the Word of God and there were two different ways. One by new revelation something that had never been brought out before, not written, and then other ones where they reiterate. They just simply take what we know what God has spoken, an Old Testament or maybe a New Testament letter, and uh, speak on that. But some during that time, while Scripture was being written, would have a new revelation. 
And if that happened, then that one with the new revelation should get up, the one who was speaking reiteration, could sit down and the other one with new prophecy. God has just given me a revelation. And then even then it's supposed to be checked out and examined by other people because he might be saying something that is totally foreign to what we know to be truth. So he gives the rules in that. He says in verse 30, But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, all of a sudden you have a revelation from God revealed. Let the first keep silent. The one who's speaking, now let him sit down. Let's hear that new revelation. If the other guy's speaking a new revelation, well then let him finish. And then he get up, right? For, you, for uh, you all can all prophesy one by one. What's the reason? That all may learn and all may be encouraged. Learning, understanding, edifying. How many times has Paul said this? That's why I say we can't be fooled by what's going on out there in the church that's believing some of these things. Um, Anyway, one by one, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That's what it says in verse 32. Uh, You can control this thing. If you're a true prophet... You can control it. You won't get out of order. And that's the whole point. You know the true gift is never going to function in some kind of pagan ecstasy. God is not going to bless that. The Holy Spirit is not going to work in some kind of pagan ecstasy, something that is not really the true gift. Never will He do that. The true gift functions as all gifts do. And it's under the control of the Holy Spirit uh, than what makes sense in verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. You're going to have peace there. Look in Romans, just the book before this, in chapter 15, right near the end of that letter, verse 33. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. If you have all sorts of craziness happen, how can you have peace, right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. So there needs to be peace now. The God of peace. There should not be confusion. He is not the author of confusion. But he's of peace. Now, this is a key to the to the chapter. The purpose is all the same. That they may learn. That they may be comforted. That they may be edified. No frenzy. He's not a God of frenzy. Now what he's going to do, and here's our Mother's Day message. No. <laughs> I didn't intend for this to happen. I really did. So if you ladies will forgive me. But you know what? You guys, actually, this is an honor to God and an honor to you because you guys aren't out of order either. And so when I, when I see this, ladies, uh, I just see something here that you all follow. And, and you take God's truth to be that way. And it is truth. You don't rebel against this section. So it's not going to uh, rebuke any of you. It's, it's something that you say, oh yeah, absolutely, that's what ladies are to be doing. 
Now, if I was somewhere else, I'm not so sure that this would be too favorable. I am so blessed to preach the Word of God here and not get flack. And, but I will tell you, if there's something that you always want to ask questions about or there's something that you disagree with, fantastic. we're brothers and sisters, you know what's good about it? We can do that. We can talk about it. That's what the Word of God is about. I don't have it all together. You know, I don't have everything. But hopefully I'm not coming in here bringing false error. Uh, but there's always little intricacies or details that maybe we might want to know a little bit more about and on this issue right here it could be. But uh, What he says now, okay, now, let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but they're to be submissive as the law also says and if they want to learn something let them ask their own husbands at home for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you or was it you only that it reached? I'm going to stop there for a moment. We're about near the end here, but women in the church at that time were really trying to take over in leadership. Uh, it was not just a cultural thing that Paul was talking about, saying, well, that was back then, but today it's okay. We can have women pastors, women deacons, women elders. They can rule and lead the church because times have changed and since the 1900s, that's the way it is. Well, for 1900 years of the church, there were not women leaders. What happened? Well, when the charismatic Pentecost or the Pentecostal movement started, women had a lot to do with the Pentecostal churches. And women took over leadership. And today we have many women pastors in many churches that are Pentecostal, charismatic, and in liberal churches where uh, the Word of God to them means nothing and what they will say, well... That was for that time period and it's not for today. Well, we can do that with anything in Scripture, right? We can just just blow it out. Now, granted, there is culture and there are customs that you have to read and, and know what the, the text is dealing with, but the context here, he just flat out says it. Let them keep, keep silent in the churches. Don't let them be taking over... Um, the first woman who ever got the baptism and spoke in tongues... First person yes. had a lot to do with this Pentecostal movement as a woman. Amy Simple McPherson, Catherine Kuhlman, and others, all the ladies in between and since. Uh, women. It's amazing to me that every cult has spawned out of Christianity with few exceptions. It's been spawned by a woman when women usurp that role. And you can even think of Seventh-day Adventists and such. I think it's very challenging to the assemblies of God and uh, the uh, all the holy roller type churches, uh, Pentecostal. I think it's quite a challenge if they were really to read this chapter. They've got a lot of issues to deal with. They like to use this chapter, and at the same time, I'm going, my goodness, don't they read the rest of it? What are they doing with this? This is a catastrophe. I thank God for the gifted women in our church, the gifted women in the whole body of Christ who teach other women, who teach children, who are always there ready to give the gospel out to anybody. Uh, but when we come together, and that's what Paul's already said, whenever you come together, we must listen to God's standards. There's reasons for that. Dennis didn't make it up. Grace Community Church didn't make up those reasons. The reasons are here. They are clear. In First Timothy, Paul writes to him, says the same thing. That's why women will say, well, Paul was a bigot. 
First Timothy chapter two, verse eleven: Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, not to usurp the authority, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And there is the whole principle. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she'll be saved in childbearing. Here's a great mother, Mother's Day verse. If they continue in faith, love and holiness will self-control. What a ministry women have. They make the biggest impact on their children more than anybody else. They raise them up. They have them. They have them every day for the formative years. And of course, the father's there too. But what a ministry mother has. She can give them the gospel all day long, every day, in those formative baby years, and to give a basis and a foundation. That is one of the, the best, one of the best missionary activities they can have, Bible teaching and such. But they have great opportunities to teach other women, whether they be a group of 10, 20, 50, 100, or one, or two, or just going over to their house and just talking about certain things of the Lord and just communing with that. A lot of different things they can do. They can teach the children and such. I'm thanking God for uh, the women, for God's plan that He has but women who teach and preach in church where there are men there uh, taking the authority from the men, uh, they're violating His plan. And uh, women can say the perfect, right, good things, but um, she's not to take the authority away. Paul says, okay, you want to argue with this? You want, you want to argue about it? I like what how Paul does this and we're, we're finishing this chapter up. Are you ready? Uh, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. This is coming from God. I, I, I'm inspired, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Okay? If, you, if you don't believe this, then just remain ignorant. <laughs> Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Did you write the word, Paul says? Do you have some kind of monopoly on the truth? Do you see the way he's speaking all along through here? He uses that kind of uh, a way of bringing it out. Uh, he says he had the true gift here, bringing this forth. Uh, if anybody ignores these, you ignore him. In other words, if he doesn't have the, tr- uh, the true gift, if he doesn't recognize this as the Word of God, you can't recognize him as having the true gift. If he doesn't obey these principles and acknowledges as commandments of God, then he is to be rejected. So he really sets them in order, doesn't he? Seems rather rebuking. We sum this up. How does this apply to us? We want to make sure that our worship is done in order, and it's done in the beauty of God that reminds us of who God is. I hope you see God here, right? I hope you see God in the beauty of whether it be the reading of the Word, in prayer, the music, the preaching, the beauty of the message as it flows right out of the Word of God so that we are edified, that we're built up. And that's what the church is to do. That God may be manifest in a true, orderly way that makes sense and understanding. That's why we do have a completed canon, folks. We don't have to wonder if there's something else out there. And going to and fro, going, this guy has a revelation. I need to go over there and get that from him. Because that's different than the Word. Folks, we've got it. 
God gave it all. He's that good. It was finished by the first century. Isn't that beautiful? And as God is manifest and the church is edified, the church will be multiplied in that sense. The proper use. God made a use out of it. And we say that to this day, God will do it the way that He wants and any timing that He wants. We let God be free in that. But He has spoken some things we know to be absolutely true. We thank Him for that. Let's pray.